0: My 19th birthday show for Smart Arts started off in 2004. I do not know where the time has gone and uh, I cannot do the maths to tell you how many interviews I've done in the preceding years, but it's a joy and a delight to present this show. What's become an iconic annual exhibition at Linden New Art in St Kilda? Uh, I'm joined by Liam James, the Deputy Director of Linden New Art, to talk about the Linden New Art postcard show, which uh, has been running for how many years now, Liam?
1: It is. It's 33rd year, which um, is the same amount of years I've been on Earth. So it feels like a long time to me. <laughs> <laughs> it, and I've, certainly I've, we've talked about the
0: postcard show on Triple R quite a few times over mm-hmm. the, what, the 19 years uh, that I've been hosting this particular show. Um, but for people who aren't familiar with it. Give us a, the the pracy, because this is a, an open access opportunity for artists, professional, amateur, and in between, to submit work and to have it celebrated. It's a it celebrates, I guess, St Kilda, the gallery, uh, Wurrung Country, and so
1: much more. Yeah, I guess as a show it. It tries to do a lot, and I think it does succeed. I guess it, its aims is um, a celebration of community. It's an action of um, cultural democracy, I think, in a lot of ways. It's about celebrating that that the arts have um, many intersections and there's many types of practitioners. It, a lot of the rest of the time of the year, we celebrate very specific mid-career-focused practice, but here's a time for us to celebrate the hobby artist, the um, regional artist, the local community artist, um, we work with a lot of partnerships to make sure that, that we do have a really wide spectrum of um, creatives in the show. And this year with opening up um, to sculptural works as well, um, we're returning to opening up to sculptural works that it used to be as well, we, we're even seeing more influx of um, types of making, types of thinking and conversations that are being had through the show, which is Beautiful. And this, I mean, because it's uh, open to submissions from across the country, you had, what, over a 1,000 submissions this year? 1,050-ish, I think, Uh, which, you know, in a two-week de-install was pretty hectic, especially with our last show being the Fantastic Design Fringe, which is also another open access. Uh, But, you know, it's fantastic. The show is floor to ceiling. There is something for everyone. It's a great place to come through with someone else and, talk and chat and take time, Um, kind of, you can split up each wall one by one, I think is the only way to get through the entirety of the show. Now, it's called The Postcard Show because the works used to be postcard
0: size, 8 by 10. You kind of threw that out this year, I believe.
1: Well, this is a conversation I've been having a lot, Richard, and I'm glad that you brought it up. Uh, No, you're completely and utterly wrong, Um, which... Everyone is. The reason that it was called the Postcard Show Prize was because the original show, I believe, had about three prizes and those winners of the prizes were turned into postcards that were then for sale at the gallery. So that's where the postcard came from because the 8 by 10 inches, that's a big postcard. That's true. Uh, but... Yes, hadn't thought of that. I was was thinking 8 by 10 centimetres, which is not huge. No, 8 by 10 centimetres, on the other hand, would be about the same size. But, yeah, no, it's 8 by 10 inches was the the size that it's been for um, I think about 8 to 10 years now. But before that it was um, an open, called it any size, um, and medium. So we're actually... Just going back to, we do have postcards this year. They weren't part of the prize winners, but we have three different postcards that you can take away for free when you come. So if you can't pick up an artwork to take home, you can at least get a little postcard with one. So we're re-embedding that in there. Um, But I think we're also looking at the idea um, of postcard a little bit more in depth. We have um, a participatory activity uh, that anyone can engage in this year as well, um, which we, we started last year, but we've shifted it this year a little bit, where we have blank postcards that you can come in and draw your own, paint your own postcard that you can either take away and send in the mail or we've got a big um, world map that you can post it up where you'd like to send it. Um, and I think... it. It talks more about the way that art moves around the world, the way that images move around the world, and the importance they have in communicating ideas of um, experience from one person to another. Which, again, comes back to that notion of cultural democracy, that this is Lyndon's way of uh,
0: not just facilitating that but strengthening those ideas, that kind of open access, open communication and more.
1: Yeah, I think core to a lot of the work that we do at Lyndon that, you know... um, often sits in our public programming and our our programs outside the gallery but is core to us, is that idea that everyone has the right to make and practice as an artist and a a creative and there's not one simple single way to make or share. Now, that's an interesting point to pick up because it ties
0: again back in with the idea of the blank postcards that people can Mm -hmm. uh, create their own postcard if they visit Lyndon New Art. The idea that art is for everyone... So much in in our society, the focus is on monetizing your your side hustle, being a professional artist, which means that people who are doing art just for fun mm. either sometimes feel the pressure to uh, to side hustle or they feel the pressure to go, oh, "I should be studying and but i don 't want to be a professional; I just want to do this for love so again, this opportunity that This is a a show that recognises that some people are making art just because they want to make art, not because it's a career, not because they necessarily think they're a brilliant artist. They just want to express themselves creatively.
1: Yeah, and I think you can see that um, through this, this exhibition we have artists who this is the only time of the year that they show and they show at the postcard show and have for over a decade and, you know... They contact us every year and send pictures ahead of the show because they're excited about participating and that it's the time that they are willing to share and the rest of the time of the year they make and they make just for them. And I think that you're right that we focus too much on that um, outcome and that exhibition in in contemporary art circles and focus. And there's nothing wrong with that as an outcome, but it's not the solo outcome of, of creativity, I think. Now, uh, that said... Uh, there are a whole bunch of prizes that are offered to the
0: what, mm-hmm. 600 artists or so who have entered the Linden postcard show mm-hmm. this year. So, yes, they, they may be amateur artists, but they still have an opportunity to be recognised for their work.
1: How many prizes are there exactly? So 19 prizes this year, which is uh, just a wild, wild amount of prizes to be um, giving away. But I think that adds to it as well. You know, the prizes range from... Um, like, uh, the, we've got a fantastic relationship with both the Ackland and Fitzroy Street Traders. And so there's prizes like the uh, the Play Award or the Animal Award. You know, the show's a lot of fun. So there is that kind of stuff. There's also the Lyndon Newart um, Board First Nations Award, which, you know, obviously has a little bit more um, seriousness to it. Um, and there's a new tertiary education prize. Yes, here. the Geoffrey Conahan and Matthew Erb's uh, Tertiary Award, which is the first time we've done a tertiary award, and we also did a, um, a discount rate for students as well this year, so we saw a, a much higher rate of student engagement, which is something that's really been missing from the show, I think, um, which was fantastic to see that that raise up and um, was a fantastic, hilarious work that won that one as well, Who an artist who who entered... Last year. Um and I think that the the awards we've we've also moved away from the terms like best of or anything like that because it's not what the show's about. Yeah. You know, these awards are celebration of creativity, not trying to create um Hierarchies of practice, and you know that's the core of the show. So everything around it needs to be that as well. Yeah.
0: So we acknowledge that uh, they aren't necessarily prize winners; they're prize recipients. Yeah, that's a nice way to look at it. Yeah. 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 Now, if people want to see the some of the works, um, in fact, I think all of them, uh, if you go to www.lindenarts.org, you can click on the link on the front page for the postcard show. There's a list of works. There's a list of the prize winners recipients uh, and more but uh, there's an overwhelming array of, of forms and styles and practices from from abstract to realist to to sculptural work as you've said I I feel sorry for the judges i 've judged a few prizes in my time, both visual arts, literary arts, and and more it 's always an overwhelming challenge, but for a, a show of this scale, mm-hmm.
1: my my kudos to the judges for the endurance task alone well actually, with the the judging, we do it differently as well um, so because because this is a community event. Um, most of our sponsors are community sponsors in a way. Um, they're part of our community. So we give them first chance if they want to select their award, they can, because their opinion about what is the best or the thing that suits their prize. Um, so actually the judging panel shortlists uh, only about six of those um, for, or, uh, for sponsors who don't wish to choose, um, which is very few. And I think it's really great to get those sponsors in there um, because their their opinions are valid and they're really important parts of our community.
0: Yeah. Now I just want to go off on a tangent for mm-hmm. a moment, Liam. Please. You're do. Um, uh, Tasmanian born. I am, and I know that you've um, uh, you were the director of the Ari Sawtooth for a mm-hmm. while uh, and more. Just from your perspective now, being here on the mainland and looking back at at Tasmania. How mm-hmm. strong is the the visual arts scene, if you will? Obviously Mona casts a long shadow and mm-hmm. not everything thrives in a shadow, but uh how strong are the visual arts in Tasmania? How how is how successful is the scene,
1: so to yeah. speak? Look, I think um it's been a few years since I've been down in Tassie as part of the community there. I think that the the art scene in Tassie has always been strong before Mona was there and continues afterwards. Um, you know, there's something about islands, isn't there, that brings people together? Um, something about small communities, and you know, Tassie is a smaller community. Um, but it is a beautiful, thriving local scene, and one where those kind of um, hierarchies of career are kind of thrown away mm-hmm. by the limited numbers. So you, you have a really beautiful, flat lined, um, creative community where your university lecturers are, are sitting having beers with the first-year students and the, are at every RE show, and, but there's no awkwardness, there's no idea that there should be separation and, and people really work together and strive for um, really great outcomes. And, you know, there's also a lot less funding in Tassie, a yeah. lot less money. I was just writing about that for ArtsUp <laughs> last week kind yeah. of, uh,
0: because of Blue Cow Theatre having to wrap up because they didn't get funding and they can't exist without
1: it. Yeah, it yeah. is. It is brutal. Um, but you see a lot more grassroots, small orgs for for the population base start up and run and become really important. Be that Sawtooth, which has been running for a very long time under two different names, Constance, uh, Good Grief down in Hobart, nipolina which is a fantastic organisation. Um, if anyone's listening and going down to Tassie, I think they've got a market coming up, a Chrissy market coming up soon. Um, uh, Constance, ARI, yeah, a fantastic non-site organisation that's really shifted And I should just say that if people don't know the term ARI,
0: Mm. Artist Run Initiative. Yeah. And one of the things that I was thinking of that made me want to ask this question, uh, Mm -hmm. once I learnt that you were a a Taswegian, um, thinking about, again, that connection back to cultural democracy Mm -hmm. at at Lyndon New Art and the postcard show, Uh, a visit I paid to Junction Arts Festival a couple of years ago, the public art... Installations, not public art, as in the sense of commissioned by the taxpayer, but art in windows, art in in a cathedral opposite, kind of the the Prince's Square, mm-hmm. kind of art everywhere on the in the buildings and the windows around that square. Again, that sense of community engagement and people, like literally sketching or painting in a, in an empty shop front window, so people can watch work being made. That sense again that the artists represented a a range of practices, some professional, some just doing it for love. And so that, yeah, that sprung to mind when uh, we were talking about that ethos of the postcard show, that kind of, again, art is for everyone. Yeah. And uh, a show like the postcard show reminds us that whether you consider yourself a hobbyist or not, there is a place for you in the art world.
1: And I think that turns as well not only as maker but audience Um, that I think so many of our fantastic brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and friends don't go to galleries because they feel like these are places that they shouldn't go because they're not smart enough, they're excluded and I think organisations have historically done a lot of work to make people feel that way. Um, But your opinion is good and right and your emotion that you'll have to work is good and right and... You have every right to make and every right to look at art because it's for all of us absolutely the um it's something that I regularly talk to gallerists
0: about on this show the um the The sense that some people just feel they don't fit, they don't belong mm. um, s- scares them from entering mm-hmm. into a gallery, and most gallerists will say, "Well, yes, we have an exclusive clientele who are buying the work, but everybody is welcome mm. to come and look at it. Mm. Yeah. The Linden Postcard Show is running, well, uh, it's the Linden Postcard Show 2324. It's on now. Uh, it's showing until Sunday the 11th of February at mm-hmm. Linden New Art, 26 Ackland Street, St Kilda, uh, just down the road from TheatreWorks, if you've not been there before. Um, um Of course, you may not have been to theatre works before either, so that probably doesn't really help as a a direction. But entry is free. Uh, Linden is open Tuesdays to Sundays, 11am till 4pm, closed on the upcoming public holidays. Details at www.lindenarts.org. And uh, Liam, just before I let you go, um, are there any public programs associated with the postcard show or is it just more come in, look at work, create your own
1: postcard? Uh, Yeah, at this point, come in. The public program is all the time. Sit down, have a draw, have a look, come for a chat and um, maybe take something home with you. Yeah. Pick up a postcard or create your own or do both.
0: Uh, Lindenarts.org is the website to go to. So uh, I've been chatting with Liam James, Deputy Director of Linden New Art. Liam, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Richard.
1: (laughs) Ah, That's right. Triple R.
0: I'm joined by Cameron Lukey, who's the Artistic Director of 45 Downstairs, uh, a Melbourne institution located at 45 Flinders Lane. Cam, good to have you back in. Hi, thanks for having me. So, what does it feel like to be Artistic Director? Because you were programming the (laughs) theatre for a while, um, but you had a different role. So, you've kind of shifted into... Only, what, earlier this year into a a new role?
2: Yeah, so I started at 45 in 2016 working with Mary Lou Gelbart, the founder and former artistic director. Uh, And then last year, Mary Lou had to step back, so I I took over programming. And then this year, the board asked if I would um, step into the artistic director role. And, I mean, of course, like it's – I'm thrilled. But it's quite surreal. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Having worked with Mary Lou for quite a few years now, it, 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 it's a little—it's uh, intimidating, but it's also um, exciting to, to follow in her footsteps.
0: Yeah, and. For people who don't know, what does an artistic director do?
2: <laughs> um, it's a bit of a jack of all. Well, at forty-five, it's a it's a jack of all trades role. I I don't know if I could speak for um, artistic directors at other organisations, um, but you know, it's it's programming, it's fundraising, it's marketing, it's uh, diplomacy. It's it's a bit of everything. Now. Uh, we're going to talk specifically about the twenty twenty four theatre
0: program. I also wanted to acknowledge that, of course, forty five downstairs has a very strong visual arts program as well.
2: Yes. So we have a new gallery manager, Lachlan Sutherland, who just started with us this year as well, um, and he's been busy programming uh, for next year. We haven't sort of we haven't announced that program yet, but hopefully early next year we'll be putting out a, a media release for that.
0: Great. I may have to get Lachlan on the show to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. But. In terms of the 2024 theatre program at 45 downstairs, what's your approach to programming? What are you looking to, to capture in terms of what genres, themes, styles, undercurrents, whatever's
2: bubbling away in the theatre sector? When you look at all of that, mm. what's your approach to programming? Um, there's a few boxes to tick. Variety for me is, is first and foremost. Um, I never want to put two things too similar next to each other. Um, light and shade, you know, we get a lot of um, uh, heavy um, content pitched to us, um, which is fantastic. But then, you know, you want to balance that with the the fun and the ridiculous. <laughs> Hence why we have two Bloomshed shows in the program next year. Um and uh, 45 has always been uh, – has always focused on new writing as well. So the, the bulk of the program is made up of new plays. Um, we also have a couple of premieres of international works. So that's uh, another um, priority is, is presenting international work that might not be seen on the main stages. Um and then, you know, we try to mix that in with some music. Uh, we've got an opera in there. We have a musical that is uh, still to be announced. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we we try to cover all bases at yeah. 45.
0: Now, uh, a nice example of programming would be the fact that you've programmed uh, two productions, A Hundred Reasons for War by Tom Holloway, which is mm-hmm. an older play uh, written for the, uh, the centenary of Anzac, and... Um, but with a brand-new work by Robert Reed, Carpet and Sand, as mm. a double bill.
2: Well, the the uh, Bob Pavlich, the director, pitched that idea about uh, presenting those two works in rep, both performed by the same cast of eight on the same set, and I just loved the ambition of that. Um, obviously, two Australian works as well, so that ticked that box um but you know the the we don't get many uh the idea of performing in rep is uncommon now yeah uh, for people so, who don't know what we mean by performing oh, yeah. in rep <laughs> um it's it's performing multiple plays uh within the same sort of within the same season, the same dates, but you know, alternating from one play to the next, from night to night. Which I always when I, I see actors doing that, I just think, how does
0: your brain remember all of this? Not only the lines, like you might be doing, yep, you're doing a Tom Holloway play one night and a Robert Reed play the next, but you're not just remembering the, the lines, you're remembering the blocking and and kind of cues and all those kind of things. It's it's it demonstrates the talent that actors and other artists and creatives have to be able to kind of switch like that. And this particular kind of uh, season of the, this double build, there will be days where both are performed back-to-back.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, again, very ambitious um, but also exciting. Uh, I, I, I We've been rehearsing... Um, production of The Inheritance which opens the 2024 season and again that's six hours of material and I'm I'm sort of watching the the actors go through the process of learning it and it's staggering I I don't know how they do it but somehow (laughs) they pull it together it's amazing. And The Inheritance is you
0: gave the example earlier of programming in terms of new international work this is one of those plays it's a uh, and it's Again, it, it it's two plays back-to-back.
2: Guess, yeah, so part one, part two, um, both three hours. It's it, it's the definition of epic, durational theatre. Um, and, uh, again, that, that, that play's been around for a few years now, won all the international awards, and I was w- waiting for one of the main stage companies to take it on. I, I just thought it would be a slam dunk. And then it didn't happen, and a couple of years went by, and I thought, okay, well, I think we should do it. <laughs>
0: um, you mentioned uh, the Melbourne company Bloom Shed, mm-hmm. uh, and, yes, two works next year, <laughs> um, including Ernest, after the importance of being Ernest by, uh, by Oscar Wilde, continuing their, their irreverent approach to adaptation.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, I saw their productions of Animal Farm, and well, I, I saw Dodgeball named Desire because it was at Forty Five Downstairs this year. Uh, loved both of them, and yeah, they're just they're so inventive and so um, you can you can see the audience having a great time, and also they bring in a slightly different demographic, which I think is great for Forty Five Downstairs. In fact, that, that's one of the things I've I've loved the most this year is. On opening nights, or no, actually opening nights probably not the best time to sort of suss out the the demographic. But on a you know Friday night, standing around the foyer, I, I feel like every show has drawn in quite a different audience this year. And so yeah, that that's my goal next year as well is to just keep increasing that diversity of audience.
0: Yeah. Evolving the the mm. the people who are watching the work as much of, as evolving the, the theatre culture itself. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other uh, work that Bloomshed are doing next year is We're Banking on It, which is a collaboration between Bloomshed and Must, which is the Monash University Student Theatre, out of which Bloomshed grew.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really lovely thing, that they're going back to um, collaborate with Must ten years after... Um, their original adaptation of The Government Inspector. Um, Yvonne Viasik, the artistic director at Mast pitched this idea of bringing the creative team behind Bloom Shed back to work with um, uh, the, the artists involved in in Mast. Uh, and yeah I, I I think that's gonna be that's gonna be a, a wild ride. <laughs> Speaking of wild rides, rhinoceros
0: um, is also, I'm sure, going to be a wild ride. This is the team behind The Crocodile, which was outstanding, yeah, uh, both I've in terms that, of sure. its design, its direction, its performances and its kind of uh, adaptation of the original source material. So, uh, yes, Rhinoceros by Zinni Harris after Ionescu, I'm sure is going to be quite remarkable. That's on in uh, October, November next
2: year. Yeah, look, I, I'm always happy to have Me, Dan Barber, Spinning Plate, at 45 they're such a wonderful team and they I mean Dan and, and Cass's collaboration is uh yeah it's just beautiful
0: <laughs> speaking of wonderful collaborations uh, Patricia Cornelius Susie D, and uh the performer Nikki Wilkes uh coming back together again for a new work written by Patricia Bad Boy
2: yeah, so, th- I mean, they've done a lot. Uh, Susie and Patricia, I think, have one of the richest histories at 45. Um, they, uh, I've lost track of how many shows Susie's done. I think it's eight, seven or eight. And Patricia, it would be four or five. Um, and their last show with Nikki Runt, was uh, – I, I loved that. I, I thought it was wonderful. Um, so, yes, I'm very curious to see what they come up with. And Nicky is actually playing a male character. Um, so that that's, that'll be an interesting frame uh, in which to explore misogyny and uh, a, a lot of issues that are kind of. Um, uh, burning issues for Patricia and Susie.
0: Yeah. Very much looking forward to seeing that production. Uh, Also looking forward to, he says, uh, looking at the list, um, Benjamin Nichols' new plays. So uh, for people who don't know Benjamin's work, um, you had uh, the double bill of Kerosene and Sirens, at 45 downstairs this year. Um, Sirens uh, was an outstanding work from Melbourne Fringe from the year before. Uh, So this is an opportunity for him... uh, Well, they, I think. uh, I'm not sure. Him. Him, okay. Wasn't sure of pronouns. Um, So this is an opportunity for for Benjamin Nicol to continue his interest in kind of love, loneliness, desire in what is an ongoing series of works.
2: Yeah, so uh, Kerosene and and Sirens, uh, we presented them as a double bill this year. Um, Both had had, as you said, individual seasons, Um, but he had always wanted them to be in conversation with one another. So he decided that the next two works in this anthology series would be written to to premiere together. Uh, and I, I just loved the concept behind it. Um, so Bridget Gallagher plays a character named Mummy and Charles Purcell plays a character named Daddy, but their stories are not at all what you would expect from uh, the, the, the the character names. Um, Bridget plays a, a mother who's... Uh, son is incarcerated, and she's coming to terms with the awful things that he's done and and trying to reconcile that with her love for him and Charles Purcell is playing daddy uh, a, a professional dom um, in in who has a um, whose role within the queer community is is quite defined and then he goes through an experience that sort of turns that on its head uh, and i i just i, I I loved kerosene and sirens, so I'm very excited to see to see Ben continuing that that series.
0: We've talked mainly about theatre so far, Cam. There's also music. Uh, you have the return of uh, the Forty Five Downstairs Chamber Music Festival.
2: Yeah, so Cody Green, the pianist Cody Green, who's on our board, um, he came to us with this idea of presenting a chamber music festival last year, uh, and it included fourteen, no, thirteen or fourteen recitals. And it was a huge success. Most of the recitals uh, sold out or came close to. Uh, And so when he came back proposing that we make it an annual thing, it sort of it felt like a a given. Um, So he's now curated, I think it's fourteen events again. Uh, and And he takes a similar approach to curating the festival as I do curating the the program overall it 's all about variety, diversity, um, making sure that you know no two concerts are too similar. Uh, or, you know, cannibalising audiences against each other. Um, and and there's just an incredible array of artists and ensembles included. So there will definitely be something for everyone in that program.
0: And perfectly suited to the acoustics of 45 Downstairs.
2: Yeah, that's one. I mean, it, it, it's something that a lot of people comment on. It can be a bit of a bathroom, which is, some people love. <laughs> um, but we've just had... Um, a show vampire lesbians which we ha- was set up in a new configuration for us which we've discovered lends itself beautifully to um live chamber music so we're sort of thinking about how we how we work that into the festival next year because it it, it can be um as i said it can be very boomy but it can also be just gorgeous for live music So the Chamber Music Festival at 45
0: downstairs is on in March. And the final work I wanted to pick out of a packed program, we've only scratched the surface of it, is uh, Roe Brighton, Pat Irwin's The Hall, which is on in November next year, featuring a live choir and original songs by a member of the B-52s.
2: (laughs) Um, So... Roe and Catan uh, pitched this idea to me. Catan uh, directed The Gospel According to Jesus, Queen of Heaven. Which was an exquisite work. And one of the things I loved most about that was that it incorporated a live choir um, to sort of score the, the monologue. And so when they came to me with this idea of, of you know, furthering that, uh, the, the idea of incorporating live choral music in a theatrical work, I was, yes, immediately, yes, that's, I, I thought, I, I think Catan's relationship to music is, is one of his absolute strengths as a director. For more information
0: about the theatre program at 45 Downstairs in 2024, jump online, 45downstairs.com. Definitely book some tickets and uh, keep... Cam, the artistic director, happy by knowing that at least three or four people have booked for things well in advance. COVID has changed our booking habits, I think. So, uh, it, which must, must be a bit stressful for both you and artists going, it's the week before the show opened and no one is booking yet.
2: And then you get a flood on the night. Well, yeah, bookings are very last minute. Although I have to say, I I, I feel like that is shifting a little bit. Um, We've we've already sold most of the tickets for Sunday performances of The Inheritance. I think people want to do the marathon. Um, And actually, you know, the last few shows, Vampire Lesbians, Orlando, um, both, you know, selling a little bit further in advance.
0: So that's promising. A promising (laughs) sign then. So... As we said, jump online 45downstairs.com to uh, view the full theatre program for 45 Downstairs in 2024. If you've not been before, 45 Downstairs is located at 45 Flinders Lane in Melbourne. If you need wheelchair access, contact the venue and they will arrange that for you. Otherwise, you've got a couple of flights of stairs to navigate. But it's one of my favourite performance spaces in Melbourne, 45downstairs.com for more details. Cameron Lukey, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Richard. Independently yours. Triple R.
1: 102.7.
0: Well, the uh, the Women's Circus are presenting the annual Women's Circus member cabaret, Pride and Possibilities, running from today until the 17th of December over in West Footscray. I'm joined in the studio by the co-director of the show, Kate Fryer, and also one of the guest performers and a staff member of uh, Women's Circus, Hanny Grant. Welcome to you both.
3: Well, thank you. Hi.
0: So, Kate, we'll start with you. Um, the opportunity for Women's Circus to to celebrate the different skills and talents of its members in a big end-of-year show. Obviously, this matters to the company. It, it matters to the members. It's a, a celebration and a showcase. What's it like to direct such a work? Because you, you don't want to crush anyone's dreams by saying, actually, we might cut that act.
3: <laughs> no, the work very much comes from the wonderful folk in the community of the Women's Circus. Um, and, no cutting what they do is not what we do we we do gently shape things but um, the energy that the participants bring is remarkable and they have obviously spent the year training learning a bunch of new skills um, so it really is like you say an absolute celebration of anything they've picked up along the way and we just try and encase it and give them the, the opportunity to perform under lights with a sound and, and, and just really enjoy the experience of, of putting themselves out. Some of them have never performed before, so it's, it's truly wonderful.
0: Now, Hanni, you work at um, Women's Circus. Uh, you do the comms there. You yes. are also a performer, a hula hooper and more. Um, tell us, for people who aren't familiar with Women's Circus, tell us a little bit more about the company.
4: Yes, that's right. Uh, Yeah, Women's Circus was founded in 1991, actually, the year I was born. Don't say anything. (laughs) Um, And it started as as a really special safe place for women who'd experienced uh, sexual violence. And that's where where it all began uh, in Footscray. And from there, it's really grown into this... um, Beautiful, wonderful, inclusive community. And we're still in Footscray, we're at the Drill Hall, and uh, we run a social circus program and we also run uh, creative projects. So we have circus classes that run all year uh, for ages two all the way up to however, there's no limit. <laughs> um, and then we also do creative projects. So this member cabaret is one of those examples where. Uh, we allow the space for our participants to get creative, put those skills that they've learned um, into something wonderful that they can showcase to friends and families. Um, and other creative projects we do, uh, are, for example, uh, we have an inclusive ensemble, which is a performance group, um, who are professional circus performers um, and we, we create work with them as well. So uh, it's a really wonderful a wonderful place.
0: And also important to notice uh, or to, to make note, I think that yes, the, the, type, the name of the company is Women's Circus, but it is a company for anyone belonging to a marginalised gender.
4: That's correct. Um, so while it did start as that safe place for women, it has grown from there and in 2016 we adopted a gender inclusion policy uh, where we welcome anyone belonging to a marginalised gender. So that's anyone who experience, any genders who experience misogyny and discrimination under the patriarchy. So uh, we have a very comprehensive policy um, and that, that includes women, of course, but then also um Trans men, trans women, intersex people, non-binary people, even people questioning their gender are all welcome at Women's Circus in all of our classes and that's really important to us.
0: And, Kate, how does that spirit of the Women's Circus become embodied in uh, in a show?
4: Um
3: By, I I guess it really, whatever we theme the show is always informed by that from the outset. So this year's cabaret is called Pride and Possibilities, which is a little bit of a spin on Pride and Prejudice where we want to not be looking (laughs) at the the concepts within that book particularly, although that was a pretty good satire. Um, And, you know, really, really celebrating the difference of everybody that comes and and in in whatever form – they're bringing in skills but also in personality and in life it's a celebration of them and their work.
0: I really like the idea of the company ending the year with something that is a celebration of the intrinsic nature of the company but also the 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 individual skills and strengths and and joys that the members of the company bring to women's circus as well.
3: Yeah it's 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 truly wonderful we have you know like Henny was saying age ranges in classes from two to Anything and then the age range in this cabaret is from 13 up until 76, so we really do get just such an amazing spread of age,
4: ability, life experience to celebrate.
0: And how many people are performing in the show?
4: There are 30. 30 members and also some trainers are performing as well. So it's uh, actually double the size of last year, which is really wonderful to see it growing year after year. Um, And it's not only members who've been around for a long time. This year we have some people who only joined us this year, which is great to see.
0: Now, there's a a really strong representation of the circus arts in Melbourne, Kate, and that's something you've been involved with for decades. Uh, I mean, we've... Hang on, hang on.
3: You're just ageing me there, Richard. No,
0: because I, <laughs> you and I first met in, I think it was 1999 or 98, when I was working on Next Wave Festival, oh, well, for example. Oh, wow, yes. So, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so your connection with the, the circus community in Melbourne is deep and lasting. Uh, given that that connection and that knowledge of circus, both in Australia and internationally, how does that shape the, the way you craft a show?
3: Um, I guess... I I constantly try and learn from the performers I'm working with so I you know as life changes I think we all have to change and and it really doesn't matter you know when you come out of when I'm you know I trained as an actor before I ended up in the circus and then I ended up trying to morph you know circus and theatre together and I you know was very passionate in my 20s you should have heard what I used to say about all the other art
4: forms (laughs) because I knew
3: best but you know as time goes on and the more people you work with whether it's in Australia which has got an incredible um, circus community or like you say traveling overseas it's just taking it from everyone and everything you can and just constantly trying to tell yourself that to to move forward is the best way to continue to grow for both you and then trying to share that with performers and
4: bringing the work out from them.
0: And, Hanny, what is it about circus as an art form that attracts you?
4: Well, I've been a circus performer for... mm, I probably started when I was 16 actually Um, and I've absolutely loved it. I started in gymnastics and I just never wanted to stop doing gymnastics so then I moved into circus and um yeah I've been performing for a very long time and I love that I I can be creative and showcase my skills and I of course I love the costumes I can't get enough of a Swarovski crystal (laughs) um but that's just me but uh yeah I I really love I love performing I love the energy that I get from from the audiences and you know, in the context of me performing in this cabaret because I'm going to be performing as a guest artist in on Friday night, which I'm really looking forward to. And um, I'm really going to love just being backstage with all the members and being a part of that energy backstage and um, being on stage with them is going to be very, very special. And it's going to be great for them as well to to get to know me in a different context because I work in the office. So that's, that's really cool as well when... When you know you're working in an organisation that has has the participants in the training program, and then has the office staff, and then we can really get a little bit more crossover there.
0: And what do you specialize in? What's your your, I, your focused art form?
4: I'm a hula hooper, Yes, um, I love I love it. Yeah, yeah.
0: And Kate, in terms of the range of circus arts, what will audiences see if they come along to see uh, women's circus member cabaret? pride and possibilities from tonight through to Sunday?
3: Well, I can honestly say I think there is one act in this show that no one has ever seen or tried to do before. (laughs) Um, We have a remarkable woman who is one of our trainers as well and they do contortion tap dance. (laughs) <laughs> I it's know Richard imagine, is looking isn't isn't at <laughs> me with a very strange we when when they said that's what they were going to do we were just like fantastic wow. and then every time it comes out we're just like everybody's jaw sorts of hits the ground because they're ridiculously good at both forms and um so yes I, I can pretty safely say I don't think I've seen that or heard of that anywhere worldwide.
0: <laughs> no. I, I'm kind of like, and just those two words together, contortion, tap dance, immediately, like, A, made my eyebrows almost explode off my face because I, <laughs> I raised them so quickly. But also the... it. it I guess it speaks to the way that circus is a constantly evolving art form. What we think of as contemporary circus is such a new art form when you compare it to to ballet and opera and and so many other established arts that it is still absolutely possible to evolve the form, take it somewhere new and surprise not only audiences but other circus performers yeah, as well.
3: Absolutely. And I mean that is why circus is so wonderful because it does attract people from all walks of life and there is such a variety. There's, there's something for everyone you, you can. So in this show, not only do we have this remarkable act, we have a bunch of different aerial acts, we have some wonderful manipulation, we have hula hoops, we have juggling, um, we have... What else have we got in there, honey? We've got so some amazing group acrobatics The and we have the Performing Older Women's Circus, um, POW, which has been around now for quite a long time and they're doing a, a wonderful um, act about activism and being an older woman with the time to have um to be an activist and really go out and 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 continue to be passionate about things and try and change the world so which i think is what circus does circus you know it changes the world occasionally which is really nice
0: and it also changes your perception of what's physically possible that's the other thing i love about circus and also say contemporary dance just looking at at movement and just think and trying to imagine myself doing that for example or being inspired at the possibility of the human body which is Particularly in circus, seems endless. Every time I see a circus show, I'm just there's something inspiring that you, I, I personally certainly take away from the the skill and the d- delight and the technical prowess that is so polished that it makes the most difficult, impossible thing look effortless. Yeah. It's joyous. It really is.
4: Yeah. That's right, and we're really proud of all of our members who are um, performing in the cabaret because they've really pushed themselves, you know. As Kate said, a lot of them have never performed before, but they decided to throw their hat in the ring, the circus ring, (laughs) and uh, give it a go. So we're we're really proud of them, and it's going to be just a wonderful show and a big celebration.
0: If you want to come and check out what the uh, the women's circus are up to for their end-of-year cabaret... Uh, The details, uh, so tonight uh, at 8pm through to 9.30pm, Friday 8pm to 9.30pm, Saturday two shows, that's three, right. From 3 pm to 4:30, and then again at 8 pm to 9:30. It's going to be a little exhausting for some of the performers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would be knackered. Uh, and then again on Sunday from 3 to 4:30 pm. Uh, the Women's Circus Member Cabaret Pride and Possibilities is on at the Women's Circus Drill Hall, 395 Barclay Street in West Footscray. And you can go to au for details. Um, uh, any of the Shows are going to be uh, audio described, or is there going to be a every relaxed show, performance?
4: Every show is Auslan interpreted, and uh, there is a relaxed performance. The Saturday matinee show is a relaxed performance.
0: So that's Saturday at three pm. That's right. Yeah. So again, the details are go to womenscircus.org.au to book tickets for Pride and Possibilities, the Women's Circus. Member Cabaret. I've been chatting with the co-director, Kate Fryer. We should acknowledge your other director. Yes, Sal Francis. Shout out to Sal. Uh, and we've also been joined by Hanny Grant from the Women's Circus, who was a guest artist, you said, on the Friday, Friday night. night. Yeah, uh, with some extraordinary hula hooping. Thank you both for joining us. Thank and, you for uh, having us. Thank you. to everyone involved with the show.
4: Thanks, Thanks. so much.